Chapter thirty two of My Brilliant Career. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Magdalena Cook. My Brilliant Career by Miles Franklin. Chapter thirty two. Tata to Barney's Gap. It chanced at last, as June gave place to July and July to August, that I could bear it no longer. I would go away even if I had to walk, and what I would do I did not know or care. My one idea being to leave Barney's Gap far and far behind. One evening I got a lot of letters from my little brothers and sisters at home. I fretted over them a good deal and put them under my pillow. And, as I had not slept for nights and was feeling weak and queer, I laid my head upon them to rest a little before going out to get the tea ready. The next thing I knew was that Mrs. McSwat was shaking me vigorously with one hand, holding a flaring candle in the other, and saying, "'Liza, shut the window quick. She's been lying here in the draught till she froze, and must have the nightmare, the way she's been singing out that queer, and I can't get her to woke up. What ails you, child? Are you sick?' I did not know what ailed me, but learnt subsequently that I laughed and cried very much, and pleaded hard with Granny, and some Harold, to save me, and kept reiterating, I cannot bear it, I cannot bear it, and altogether behaved so strangely that Mr. McSwat became so alarmed that he sent seventeen miles for the nearest doctor. He came next morning, felt my pulse, asked a few questions, and stated that I was suffering from nervous prostration. "'Why, the child is completely run down, and in a fair way to contract brain fever,' he exclaimed. "'What has she been doing? It seems as though she had been under some great mental strain. She must have complete rest and change, plenty of diversion and nourishing food, or her mind will become impaired.' He left me a bottle of tonic, and Mr. and Mrs. McSwat many fears. Poor kind-hearted souls, they got in a great state— and understood about as much of the cause of my breakdown as I do of the inside of the moon. They ascribed it to the paltry amount of teaching and work I had done. Mrs. McSwat killed a fowl and stewed it for my delectation. There was part of the inside with many feathers to flavour the dish, and having no appetite I did not enjoy it, but made a feint of so doing to please the good-natured cook. They intended writing at once to give my parents notice when I would be put on the train. I was pronounced too ill to act as scribe. Lizza was suggested, and then Jimmy, but McSwat settled the matter thus. Sure, damn it, I'm the proper one to write on an important business matter like this. So pens, ink, and paper were laid on the dining-room table, and the great proclamation went forth among the youngsters. Pa's going to write a whole letter all by himself. My door opened with the dining-room, and from my bed I could see the proceeding. Mr. McSwat hitched his trousers well through the saddle-strap, which he always wore as a belt, took off his coat and folded it on the back of a chair, rolled his shirt-sleeves up to his elbows, pulled his hat well over his eyes, and shaped up to the writing material, none of which met with his approval. The ink was water, the pens had not enough pint, and the paper was trash, but on being assured it was the good stuff he had purchased especially for himself, he buckled to the fray producing in three hours a half-sheet epistle, which, in grammar, composition, and spelling, quite eclipsed the entries in his diary. However, it served its purpose, and my parents wrote back that, did I reach Goldburn on a certain day, a neighbour who would be in town then would bring me home. 
Now that it was settled that I had no more to teach the dirty children out of dirty books, lessons for which they had great disinclination, and no more to direct Liz's greasy fingers over the yellow keys of that demented piano, in a vain endeavour to teach her tunes, of which her mother expected her to learn on an average two daily. It seemed as though I had a mountain lifted off me, and I revived magically, got out of bed and packed my things. I was delighted at the prospect of throwing off the leaden shackles of Barney's Gap, but there was a little regret mingled with my relief. The little boys had not always been bold. Did I express a wish for a parrot wing or a water-worn stone or such like, after a time I would be certain, on issuing from my bedroom, to find that it had been surreptitiously laid there, and the little soft-eyed fellows would squabble for the privilege of bringing me my post, simply to give me pleasure. Poor little Lizza and Rose Jane, too, copied me in style of dress and manners in a way that was somewhat ludicrous but more pathetic. They clustered around to say good-bye. I would be sure to write. Oh, yes, of course, and they would write in return and tell me if the bay mare got well, and where they would find the yellow turkey hen's nest. When I got well I must come back, and I wouldn't have as much work to do, but go for more rides to keep well, and so on. Mrs. McSwatt very anxiously impressed it upon me that I was to explain to my mother that it was not her, Mrs. McSwatt's, fault that I ailed from overwork, as I had never complained and always seemed well. With a kindly light on his homely sunburnt face, McSwatt said as he put me on the train, Sure, tell your father he needn't worry over the money. I'll never be hard on him, and if ever I could help ye, I'd be glad. Thank you, you are very good, and have done too much already. Too much? Sure, damn it. What's the good of being alive if we can't help each other sometimes? I don't mind how much I help a person if they have a little gratitude. But damn it, I can't abear ingratitude. Goodbye, Mr. McSwatt, and thank you. Goodbye, me girl. And never marry that bloke of yours if you don't get a bit of property, for the devil's in a poor match. End of chapter 32